What do you wish most for this holiday? If you're like me, you want all W's for your favorite NFL team. Unfortunately, even Santa can't make that happen. But the Yahoo Sports mobile app can make it so you can watch those games and more right on your phone. In fact, with the Yahoo Sports mobile app, you can watch live, local, and primetime NFL games during the holidays and all season long. Never miss big matchups or your favorite team in action. What are you waiting for? Download the Yahoo Sports mobile app and may all your football wishes come true. Unless, of course, your team is playing the Bears. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I am excited about football. Last week, good. <laughs> la- last week, really, it was such a strange week, and it, it recalibrated yeah. a lot of my thoughts about the 2018 NFL season. The Saints losing to a Cowboys team that looks a little frisky now. You know, the Rams looking mortal i guess you could say i mean even the chiefs didn't have i mean they put up 40 points but they still give up 33 to the raiders i just feel like a month ago we were talking about this runaway group of of four teams and now i feel like the pack is a little wider i hope so as someone who roots for a team in that pack but i do tend to agree i mean the way the rams look which we'll get into definitely mortal or flawed in ways maybe we didn't understand before it started off the week started off very strangely with the chief or with the saints exactly so we'll see i mean maybe it's an aberration and maybe we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled programming this week but i don't know maybe we won't maybe that pool is going to get a little wider and we're going to talk about that a little bit to kick off the show today you know we've talked so much about the dominant teams in the league whether it's the saints or the rams or the chiefs this season we want to kind of do a reset of the potential contenders that are in play. So we're going to talk about some teams that maybe we've glossed over a little bit in the last month that we feel like we should really hone in on as the playoffs are about to begin. So why don't we start off with that? And who is the first team among that group that you want to throw out there? Well, I I think we need to take a look at the teams that have sort of quietly risen in stature. Because again, a month ago, when we were in Las Vegas to do our live show, Philadelphia and Dallas played a Sunday night game that I didn't think was all that important. I thought both mm-hmm. of these teams were kind of just running out the rest of the season. It wasn't going to be a big deal. And now you look at it and Dallas is coming off one of the most impressive wins of the season from a non-top four team. And generally, they look like they are almost locked to win the division, except the Eagles, who now have a 28% chance to make the playoffs, which is a lot higher than we obviously thought three weeks ago. According to 538, Dallas has an 81% chance to make the playoffs and a 70, 73% chance to win the division. This is essentially a eliminator game for the NFC East, and I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, the NFC East fortunes changed so much with the Alex Smith injury, which we'll get into yeah. a little bit. But, I mean, the fact that the Eagles now have a window to make this happen, the fact that Dallas is the favorite, it's drastically different than it was three or four weeks ago. And there's a couple of things I want to address here. Number one is it looks to me, and this is a very small sample size, but it looks to me like all of the Amari Cooper trade haters. And I, I was one of them. Um, famous <laughs> trade haters is a great term. Trade I'm haters. Really into that. It was a trade haters. Um, you know, the action network put up a, a stat stat box about just what he looks like, what Dak Prescott looks like with Cooper. And it's unbelievable. It's above, in many ways, what he was in 2016 when he had the perfect situation. I mean, 2016 Cowboys, a team that was not built for him, best offensive line in football, 
best running back in football, skill position guys who could who could really um, put him in a position to succeed. And a lot of right contested now, catch guys. That's when Des a lot is of contested catch guys. A lot of contested catch guys. He is way above completion percentage. He's seventy three percent right now. He's twenty. He was sixty seven in twenty sixteen. Uh, around the same yards per attempt, way more yards per game, and a better touchdown interception ratio. So essentially, Amari Cooper and his ability to get open and stretch the defense and all the things we talk about, what we never really think can happen. Essentially, Amari Cooper has made this, this Cowboys offense as good as everything else that happened in 2016 because he was, Dak Prescott was not good pre Cooper. He was not good. We were sitting here on this podcast wondering whether or not the Cowboys should even resign him. People were rolling their eyes. The entire sort of pundit class of football were rolling their eyes when Jerry Jones about six weeks ago said, Of course, we're going to extend Dak Prescott. And we said, Well, how can you possibly do that without looking into this, this, and this? Amari Cooper has is an inflection point, maybe, if he stays healthy and continues on this path, he might be an inflection point in Cowboys, in the Cowboys' trajectory. He's going to save Jason Garrett's job. He's going to make Dak Prescott a whole lot of money on his next extension. If you think about where they would be without Cooper, I, I, I shudder to think how different things would be. So those two things you just said, though. Oh, Jason no, those Garrett are bad King. things. I'm saying yeah, those are bad I was, things. I was like, are, you, are we sure those are good? So I, I feel like that's the weirdest part about this is that this run, and if they do win the division, it has shades of the run the table cow, or Packers year to me yeah. where the staff probably should have lost their jobs, but by some sort of miracle, in this case, it's the NFC East falling apart. In that case, it was Aaron Rodgers turning into a superhero. They're going to keep their jobs for two more years than they probably should. And maybe they're going to invest more money in Dak Prescott than they should. At this point, I think what Cooper has provided on the Prescott front is that it gives you a template through which to evaluate Dak Prescott properly. I don't know if you could have with the receiving core that was in place before Cooper got there. So now that you have Cooper, I'm not sure this is the reason to give Dak Prescott $100 million. Oh, I agree. But I do think it's enough to say, all right, with a viable receiver, Dak can be okay. I still think if they're going to give him an extension this offseason, the only type of extension I would try to secure as a franchise is that trapdoor type extension we've seen for the likes of Andy Dalton, Ryan Tannehill, and others. If we're doing four or five years with some guaranteed money in all of them, that worries me. I totally agree. When I'm talking about inflection point, I'm not saying that saving Jason Garrett's job or putting Dak Prescott in line for a mega extension is necessarily healthy. But I think that the opposite, which is a total overhaul, giving Dak Prescott, maybe, you know, obviously they're not going to do that because they're the Cowboys, but sort of driving a hard bargain with Dak Prescott, um, signing him for, for, you know, two years instead of five years, that kind of thing. I mean, I, I think that the, it's, just, it's just very, very different. Um, what would have happened if it had not traded for Cooper? Yeah, it's definitely altered the trajectory of their entire season in ways both good and possibly bad. Uh, we can talk about these NFC East teams, but do you think either of them is viable in the NFC as a contender? Do you think they can come out of that conference even after Dallas beat the Saints? Great question. So I would say that anybody who can get in a shootout can win a playoff game, okay? Because I just think these de- the defenses are so weird right now that if you can put up 30 games 30 points in a game 35 points you can you can steal a game from a team like the Rams the Saints were more interesting to me do you think and this is a more hypothetical question for you do you think if they play again Robert Mays that the Cowboys will be able to do 
to the Saints what they did last week? No. Okay. Why I think not? the blip in that game is how bad the Saints played offensively. Okay. I just don't. I think they were completely just mi- off. Miss, missing throws and that yes. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just the sloppiness from a Saints team we don't normally see. The refs had a huge involvement in that game. It just so many flags. It was just an ugly football game. I don't think if they played again that the Cowboys would be able to muck that game up quite to the same degree. I like a lot of the talent they have on defense. I think their front gave the Saints more problems than most teams do. I know Toronto Armstead was hurt. But that's still just more press pressure than Breeze is used to dealing with. Combined with the speed they have at linebacker, a couple of the playmakers they have on the back end. I like their defense. I just don't like their defense enough to say indoors they can stop the Saints twice. I agree. I, I tend to agree. That was such a strange referee game. I, it was it was disjointed. It was terrible. It, the, the Saints really, never really got in a rhythm. The Cowboys have incredible defensive talent. We know this. They're athletes all over the place. They're as sparky as it gets from an athletic t- testing standpoint. Um, and that that's starting to show. But I just feel like if they play again, it's going to be a little more Saints-esque in their performance. Um, did you see, by the way, and, and by the way, just, just to talk about the Eagles real quick, uh, the Eagles, I do not necessarily believe in only because they're so banged up in the defense right now. Um, the defense has been okay. What, what I'm interested to see is, and, and I know that that the run game is is so overblown and the run defense doesn't actually matter, but you know, Zach Berman had a great piece today, I think, about how much of a litmus test it is on Sunday to see if the Eagles can stop Ezekiel Elliott. He had 151 yards in their first meeting. Um, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see that that matchup. And by the way, Dak Prescott, I think, is fifth in the NFL in passer rating on screens. So the 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 linebackers versus Zeke Elliott is going to be a a fairly big matchup on Sunday. I'm intrigued to watch. It's incredible how far the Eagles' run defense has fallen over the course of this season. And yeah. that happens though when you when a pass defense starts to fall apart, you just allocate resources in different ways and in ways that will often hurt you elsewhere. So it's not surprising to see one area start to to collapse when the other area had already been on its way down. So, but again, I think both of those teams as intriguing as they are in that division, I'm not sure how dangerous they are in the grand scheme. Let's talk about two teams who might be though. And let's start with the Houston Texans who we have not, We've not talked a lot about on this podcast, strangely, even though they have won nine games in a row and have one of the more exciting players in the entire league at quarterback. I wrote about the Sean Watson today. It was a story I reported a while ago and it kind of kept an eye on just because their season has been so strange. But I mean, the way he's playing right now and the way the defense is playing right now, this team is beyond just the winners of a middling division. I mean, this is a team that absolutely could secure a first round bye if all things go their way over the next three weeks. Yes, I totally four, four agree. Four weeks, excuse four me. Four weeks. And they, yeah, I forgot the, how many games the, are left. The Patriots have the tiebreaker on. Yes, but they're if they're, they're the same record, so it's not right. as if they're two games up. I mean, the no, Patriots I get lose. that. I'm just saying if they do, if they finish with the same record, the Patriots yes. will get it. I am extremely intrigued by this because there's talent all over the place. Um, we've talked about it a million times. the The defense is just all the way back at this point. My only concern, again. Is the offensive line good enough for the playoffs? I don't know the answer to that. My tendency is to say no, because that's just my natural leaning in the world is to overemphasize the importance of offensive line play. Think about, just, just think about, I saw a stat the other day. I think, I think D Ford and Justin Houston lead the NFL in combined pressures. 
as far as the top yeah, two guys. Yeah, that's going to be concerning. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, the off- that's that, not the matchup you want, dude. That, that's the defensive line, and, and I guess that's not the only one because if you play the Chargers, yeah. you have to deal with both yeah. and Ingram. If you play against uh, Pittsburgh, you have to deal with their interior guys and the guys they have on the edge who aren't quite as scary but can do the right damage against bad offensive lines. So I, that's fine, and we can talk about how bad their offensive line is. I believe he's the second most pressured quarterback in the league uh, among uh, qualified players, Josh think, Allen is number one. Oh, wait, is Josh Allen qualified now? Uh, it depends on how you change the qualification. So okay. if you go to PFF and you do the you know, 20% of snaps, oh, I, I do believe 50, that, I do 50. So I do 20 just because I think that I'm a, big, I'm a big time sample size guy, man. big time sample size guy. That's fine. So if it's 50, then Watson's one, if it's 20, then he's number two by, behind Josh Allen. But they've still been able to win nine games in a row, and their offenses look pretty damn good for stretches. So if Watson can mitigate this in the regular season, why can't he mitigate it in the playoffs? And that's what we have to answer. He had a play against Tennessee, and I watched it live, and it was incredible. And then I watched it again this morning, where he ducked past Darrell Casey as Casey was coming in the pocket and then jump cut up the middle of the pocket and ran 40 yards for a first down. And this is weird because... I view Deshaun Watson so much as a passer coming into the NFL that sometimes I forget how fast he is. And that may be strange. I may be the only person who does that. But yeah. every time he rips one of those off, I'm like, God, I forgot that Deshaun Watson's really, really athletic. Because in college, it was just all about how his passing numbers were off the charts. So when he can do that stuff combined with his ability to extend plays, that's what I feel like makes him really dangerous. And I also think that what's different about this year's Deshaun Watson versus last year's is just the proficiency he has as a pocket passer. It's not just run it around and chuck it. He's really making more advanced decisions. His thought processing, his decision-making, everything else now takes way more into account what defense is trying to do to him, what individual defenders are trying to do to him. Tyron Matthew was talking to me during training camp about how Watson will just pick his brain about why he broke on certain balls, what sort of coverage he was playing, just the elevation Watson has to put on certain throws. And that's been so cool to watch this season. A couple of the throws he's had recently, those little touch throws to the back corner of the end zone to a Mm -hmm. tight end type, he just wasn't making those touchdown throws as much last year. And it's really cool to see. So I just feel like his general development and his progress if I had to guess, may be enough to overcome what's going on with their offensive line, especially when you consider how good they are on defense. Because for all of the shortcomings of their offseason on the offensive side of the ball, just because they couldn't improve the line, they hit a home run on defense. Getting Matthew on a one-year deal and bringing Justin Reed in, who's been very, very good as a rookie, it's really helped the entire secondary come together. That team does not have many weaknesses on that side of the ball, especially compared to the last couple of seasons when Kareem Jackson was just playing not well. So I totally agree with you. Matthew was one of the deals. I mean, we talked about it in the we summer. Talked about, that, yeah, that's how it was, you it was win. Easy that's to see. how you win a Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Texans are going to Super Bowl. I'm just saying getting guys like that on deals, you can sort of always reverse engineer. In the same way, the two things you can reverse engineer are who the best player in a draft is and who won the Super Bowl. And what I mean by that is that you can look back and everything always makes sense in hindsight. This guy was playing on this deal. We talk about the Broncos all the time. All of these cheap guys like Malik Jackson. You know, oh, you have him on a rookie contract. You got eight of those guys. Yeah, you're going to win. Um, the draft, I feel, is the same way. But Tyron Matthew is a championship-level contract. You get a guy like that for cheap, you can win a Super Bowl. So they have depth everywhere. I mean, I just think that generating pass rush is 
is something that pretty much all of the good teams do. You know, I saw a quote from Kyle Shanahan yesterday. He said, quarterbacks and pass rushers can solve all your problems. And I agree with They that. don't have any pass rushers, so he knows. <laughs> well, no, he knows. Or quarter, right now. Or quarterback, quarterback, quarterback now, yeah. yeah. He, he is... Uh, it's like a John Gruden bit, except he didn't trade anybody away. <laughs> we don't have any... F- I mean, quarterbacks or pass rushers. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, just j- for, for me, the only thing I worry about is I think that if you're not going to get the bye, and I don't think you are in Houston, then you're going to have to play four games, and at some point, the pass rush is going to catch up to you. The averages say that that's true. I mean, we'll see about the bye. New England isn't exactly destroying people. Maybe they drop one here over the next four in- Houston stays hot. Who knows? I tend to agree with you just compared to the really, really good teams. But I also feel like the good players in that team are playing so well. All right. Let's talk about the other kind of looming potential contender in the AFC that we haven't discussed all that often. And that response is kind of how looming. I don't know how looming they are. Somebody on Twitter the other day, I think, was describing your disappointed dad tone when you're scolding teams about their performance, it feels like that's where you're at with the Steelers. You're just so sad about what they're doing and how they're playing. What what was that game on Sunday night? So let me play devil's advocate about the Steelers. It's the holiday season. I'm giving Mike Tomlin an internet connection and and, and the lesson on how to Google who Keenan Allen is. Uh, that happens though. Every once in a while, Keenan's out. Keenan Allen's going to have those games. I love yeah, Keenan Allen no, so especially much. when you put a linebacker on him. And that's true. I don't know. He roasted Joe Hayden a couple times. So figure it out. I mean, they the, had the defensive double, coach. Figure it out. They had a double-digit lead in that game. They had 500 something yards of total offense against the Broncos. So they lose both of those games, and it looks really bad. But do we really have that much of a different understanding of who the Steelers are now than we did two weeks ago? Well, okay. Here's my point about the Steelers. So much of their value is wrapped up in getting home field. Yeah, that's my, gone. In, in, that's in the over. No, that's what I'm saying. If they get, if they had gotten home field advantage, if they had not blown it, then a potential game against the Patriots looks so different. A potential game against the Texans looks different. I mean, for keeping in mind, of course, they did, they did blow a home game against the Jacksonville Jaguars last year, in which they inexplicably allowed 45 points. But I think generally. In my opinion, a home field Steelers team is a scary Steelers team. And I just don't necessarily think that that in with, with this sort of with this sort of AFC playoff matchup where everybody's dangerous, I tend to think home field is going to be a massive, massive thing. Yeah, and for them it is so Have important. Have you seen the records? I mean, like we've talked about that. It's been 2012 since someone won an a, a championship game on the road. And I th- it's fairly close in the divisional round as well. And it's even more pronounced for the Steelers. I mean, the difference yeah. in how they play offensively is remarkable. So, yeah, I'm with you. I also just feel like that team, <laughs> that looming is the word to me. They just have that monster game in them every once in a while. And if that happens to come, let's say, like it did against Jacksonville last year, mm-hmm. then and then obviously Jacksonville won, but the offensive output in that game is just ridiculous. I just think that's always there for them. And when we're talking about teams needing to win shootouts and what you'd have to do against the Chiefs, I don't know. I still believe that they're going to have a part to play in all this, even if I should. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I that just goes mean, without saying. It's beyond that to me, though. I, I feel like they're going to scare either the Chiefs or the Patriots when it all comes down to it. I would pick the Chiefs more so just because we've seen them do it so often. But maybe that's just me having way more lingering respect for that team than I should. I mean, I have respect for them. I mean, first of all, James Conner's out. Does that concern you? For how long, though? 
I don't know. Not playing Sunday. Yeah, I mean, they're going to win the division anyway. Yeah, of course they are. So, I mean, it, at this point, it doesn't really matter. If they're not going to get to home field and they're going to win the division, if James Conner, if James Conner's back to the playoffs, that's whatever. It's kind of how I have- feel about the Chargers and... Uh, uh, Melvin Gordon's. Well, they're not going to win the division, and well, they're going to get the five seed I think, anyway. I think it's possible. Well, I want to. I want to backtrack on yes, of course, yeah, because I was looking at the wrong thing here. So they have a, they have a seventy one percent chance to win the division. That's lower than the Cowboys. Who's going to beat them in the division? Lower the than the Bears. The Ravens. Eh, I don't know. I think still think the Ravens have a shot, a good shot, a better shot than you think. We'll get to the Ravens here in a little bit. We're going to talk about their game against the Chiefs. We will discuss. They're the going to make the play- the Steelers will make the playoffs. That we know that. Yeah, that Colts loss is huge. It feels like the Steelers are kind of locked into that sixth spot now. Even if mathematically, they might not be, but just in terms of how teams are looking. Yep. All right. Anybody else you want to discuss before we move on? No, I do want to talk real quick about the the, the one more thing about the Eagles and the Cowboys. Did you see uh, Gruger Hill, the linebacker? I say did that, say that the, the Cowboys always choke. Yes. I have a question about that. Everyone's always like, oh, this is bulletin board material. Oh, here come. And I, someone, I looked him up on Wikipedia, someone um, to see his draft status. Someone had said that someone had edited it that said, this is the guy who's going to be the reason the Cowboys win on Sunday night. I just psychologically, the NFL is such a high strong. They, 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 they practice and they watch video and they work about a hundred hours a week. I would say about 100 hours a week. Why would a linebacker who's not particularly famous make you so motivated that you would now, the outcome would be different? Either way, I just think that the outcry over this sort of stuff, the bulletin board material, it's it's a little stupid. But if he does, isn't that a problem? <laughs> if the Cowboys come out, he, like, no, God, that's we what I'm so saying. I, I also week. think that, I also think this about like, being clutch, right? Like if you're better in the last two minutes of a basketball game than the first 46, then maybe you aren't trying in the first 46. Like that's that kind of thing. If the Cowboys who are seven and five, were going to be awoken because a linebacker who was a sixth round pick two years ago said that the Cowboys always choke, then maybe the Cowboys have a problem. Yeah. And the, the clutch thing is always interesting to me because I feel like it's not about being better. It's about being just as good. It's about kind of being the player you've always been in those well, two you know, minutes, but we have, can talk about it. That's a conversation read, for a different wait, show. Have you read Finding the Winning Edge? Or no, it's the score takes care of itself. It's the other Bill Walsh book. Basically, he's like, being clutch is just doing the same stuff without panicking. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, he's I, like, I he's like don't, yeah. his whole thing is don't get amped for a big game. Just be the exact same. Because if you're just normal, everything will work out. And the score will take care of itself. That's kind of, I mean, after writing about Sean Watson this week and having 10 different people tell me that watching him go into a drive in the last two minutes is the most soothing, calming thing ever. That's kind of my thought is that if you have a dude that just completely uninfluenced, unfazed by every single thing that's happening, that does affect people around him. So that's what it's all about. The funny thing is if you lose in that spot, like the famous Joe Montana pointing out John Candy before the Super Bowl drive thing. Like if they had <laughs> lost that game, if they had lost that game, people would be like, oh, he's not taking it seriously. Like I feel it, people have overreact and try to show emotion because being either normal or blase is seen as is weak, I think. But that's yeah. a whole nother podcast. So it's a whole different conversation. All right, let's get to this week's take shop. I'll start it off. I have one. It's not one point I want to make here. It's a few different ones. So 
it's it's become very popular now. Just every time someone throws out a non-quarterback for MVP, for everyone to just shit all over that idea and just say, "Well, no, he's like the hundredth most valuable player in the league." It's you can't be the MVP if you're a running back or whatever. I agree. Running back, it's un, it's completely impossible based on the current structure of the MVP, and with any other position, it's completely impossible based on the current structure of the MVP to give the most valuable player award to any position in the NFL aside from a quarterback is impossible if we're giving it to the most valuable player. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's absolutely time to reframe these conversations and to rename the awards because it's dumb. It's not fun. Aaron Donald is the best player in the NFL and he cannot win the MVP award based on the fact that it's called the MVP award because of the structure of the sport. Could you imagine if every single guy in the NBA except for one position was just not allowed to win the MVP? Consider who the best players in the NBA are right now. I mean, you could do them in any order, but may, may, I, may I may I humbly suggest that the best uh, Nikola defen- Vucevic. Well, no. I was going to say aside from Nikola Vucevic. No, 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 no. <laughs> may I humbly suggest the best defensive player in the NBA can also not win the MVP award? And we also have a defensive player of the year award in the NBA. That's fine, but I, I think that it's it more interesting conversation when more players are on the table. When guys that are as different as Anthony Davis and Steph Curry can win the MVP in the same year and be a part of the same conversation. And I don't think that a player like Aaron Donald can win the MVP if it's called the MVP. But I also think that giving him the Defensive Player of the Year award doesn't properly express how good he's been compared to the other players in the NFL, period. We can call whatever you want. I think that most outstanding player makes sense, but I'm not a branding expert. Something else. I understand it's been this way forever and you're changing how we view things through the prism of history because Mm -hmm. we've had the MVP under this structure. But think about how different the game is. We have to change our opinions of records and numbers based on how the sport changes. When we constructed this narrative and this way to name the MVP, quarterbacks didn't have this type of importance. Now they do. I don't understand why we can't reframe how we give awards in this sport, how we talk about end of season considerations, because Aaron Donald is more than just the best defensive player in the league. He is the best football player compared to the other player at his positions. And I just feel like there should be a way for us to hand that out and for us to award that person at the end of the year. That's it. Are you done? Yes. Can I give my take shop? Sure. Russell Wilson for MVP. <laughs> I'm curious about this because I I did see the argument and I did a little bit of research on it this morning. So I'm curious as to why you're thinking this. Lay it on Okay. Me. First of all, the Seahawks are just ob- objectively good. They're an objectively good team. They've won mm-hmm. three in a row. He has not thrown an interception in four games. In that time, he has 11 touchdowns. Okay. His passer rating is 115, which is... The same as Philip Rivers, right behind Breeze and Mahomes. The difference being, it's by the way, six points higher than Mr. Jared Goff. The difference with all of these people in the top five, Breeze, Mahomes, Rivers, and Goff, is that Russell Wilson has Brian Schottenheimer as an offensive coordinator. You know, I don't think Mike McCarthy should have come back in 2019, okay? But what I do think is that he's getting a little bit of a bad rap in the sense that it wasn't like he was a sleeper cell working against Aaron Rodgers. He didn't have all that innovative schemes ah. or whatever. No, no. And, and, and Russell Wilson, his offensive situation is not particularly good. 
Okay. He threw two uh, touchdowns to Jerron Brown last week. Jerron Brown right. has played on all the teams. Right. And so when you start to look around and say who did the most with the least, the answer is also Wilson. He's no longer, I think this will be the first time since he entered the league. He's not a top three pressured quarterback, but I think that he will be end the season top five pressured. So it's not like he's he's sitting in an empty pocket back or simply a totally clean pocket back there. So if you start, I'm not saying that he's 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 number one on my ballot, you know, in a month, my ballot that does not exist. But what I am saying is that right now we need to be talking a lot more about him. I'm with you. I feel like he's been fantastic and he's done it in so many different ways. He's his passer rating on D passes is 128.1. The only buddy, the only person better this season is Drew Brees. And the, there's hidden elements to what Wilson does too. It used to be that he would kind of mitigate the impact of the offensive line to be able to run mm-hmm. around, do some stuff. This year, in my mind, it's been how he affects the run game. Seattle, when they line up in shotgun, they run the ball 47% of the time, which is absurd. It's so far and away the number one team in the league. It's crazy. The Bears are number two at 33%. And why that's important is the way that Wilson is allowed to hold defensive ends because he's a running threat on those read plays gives you a numbers advantage all the time. Go back and watch the touchdown that I believe it was Rashad Penny scored against the Rams. They're in the red zone. They go off the right side and the Rams defensive end comes all the way up the field to try to hit Wilson because he still has the ball. Wilson just hands it to Penny who runs right into that vacated spot for an easy touchdown. He changes the game in so many different ways for the Seahawks. What he's been able to do down the field, outside the numbers to guys like Jerron Brown, to guys like David Moore. I mean, Tyler Lockett scoring a touchdown every week. This has been one of his best seasons. It's the best he's played since that end of season run where a lot of people thought he might be the best quarterback in the NFL. Including myself. Um, This seems like one of those years we're going to give Mahomes the MVP and give Pete Carroll coach of the year. Wow. I don't think that's true. Who's going to win coach of the year? If the Bears go like 10 and 6 and win the division? Oh, it's classic. That's a classic coach of the year pick. But that, I'm just saying, if we're going by wh- how teams normally do it, I don't even agree with that necessarily. But those are the guys that typically win coach of the year. I would maybe go Pete Carroll. I can understand I, wait, that. I, I'm talking about just like the coach of the year sort of template. I think it's Andy Reid. No, I, I, I think that it just, we wanna, we're going to want to give the Seahawks an award and we're going to give them something. I don't, I don't know if Pete Carroll should deserve a lot of credit for how Russell Wilson's playing, though. No, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, you're making my point for me. I'm saying that Russell Wilson is the reason this is happening, but we're not actually going to give him MVP. We're going to give it to damn Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes, even though they have really good setups. They don't have Brian Schottenheimer. I'd love to see Drew Brees with Brian Schottenheimer. How long would that relationship last? Coach of the year, if we weren't going to give it to the guy that is, again, ticks all the boxes that normally go with coach of the year, it's a fascinating conversation because I think Andy Reid's in that conversation. Frank Reich Reich is in that conversation. Matt Nagy's in that conversation. Uh, It's it's a good crop. And we've had a lot of coaches have a huge impact, especially on their offenses this year. Who's your anti-coach of the year? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, it's John Gruden, right? It has to be. Uh, Maybe. He's my anti-executive of the year. I mean, he's the coach too, though. I mean, Hugh Jackson, maybe, oh, maybe yeah. so. I wasn't even counting him anymore. Todd Bowles. Does is, Hugh Jackson qualify? Did he coach enough games? Uh, you only have to coach one game. 
Also, he's oh, okay. coaching for the Bengals. He oh, continues his legacy. <laughs> yeah, Hugh Jackson's got that sewn up. I, I think it's John Gruden is number two for me, though. Yeah. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Meet Sonos Beef, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV and the newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. All Sonos speakers connect wirelessly. I use my Sonos Beam every day. In the mornings, I fire up a podcast when I'm making breakfast. In the evening, it's a perfect way to stream music on Spotify while I'm cooking dinner. During our Friendsgiving last month, I just threw a playlist on my Sonos speaker, filled the entire apartment for four hours. You just touch it, let it go. Controlling Sonos is so easy, even for technology rooms like me. You can download the Sonos app on your phone and control everything at the touch of a button. Sonos is also sleekly designed to fit with even the most modern living room. My beam sits right under my TV. It fits in perfectly with every bit of my home entertainment setup. It looks fantastic. All Sonos speakers and components work together, so you can expand your system anytime. And I may be gifting myself a few more Sonos items to deck out the rest of my place this holiday season. So go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your home smart sound system. That's Sonos, S-O-N-O-S.com. All right, let's move on. Let's get to this week's best games. Let's start with the Rams at the Bears. I am very nervous and very excited for this one. As you said, coming into the top of the show, discussing the Rams, they looked mortal last week. And I went back and watched that game again this morning just to kind of see if I could pick up on whatever the Lions did that other teams weren't doing. And the Rams offense is so predicated on taking advantage of not of just lack of discipline by the opposing defense. So, so much of that play action stuff and the misdirection and the motion is supposed to play with the assignments of individual defensive players. And the Lions did a fantastic job of more or less saying, Fuck the play action. I don't care about any of those fakes. We are not going to give them any credence. We're going to come after the quarterback when you're faking a handoff, and we're going to run with the receivers and not treat them like blockers when you're faking a handoff. And it worked. And that's why I have some faith in this game because the Bears are a very disciplined team. They play incredibly sound assignment football, and that's what you need to do against the Rams. And after seeing what a team could do, against this offense that's not a very good defense? I don't know. Maybe I feel a little bit better about this than I should. I think you feel a little better. Yeah, I I agree. You feel a little better than you should. I don't know if it's going to happen. It was just encouraging to see a team do it last week. Yeah, oh no, I'm I'm with you. As I said at the top of the show, I enjoy the fact that this that this is a little more of a fair fight. I'm actually watching because I don't know where my remote is and I can't make a sound. Otherwise, it would come through on the speakers. Um, I'm actually watching Bears Giants right now. Oh, excellent. I, I watched that again yesterday. It was not it's fun. On, it's on NFL Network right now. It's a bizarre game. I mean, it's one of those games on the road uh, with your backup quarterback who throws two picks, including a pick six. Uh, that Those games are, they're going to happen. Every once in a while, you're going to run into those just bizarre outings, and especially with your backup quarterback. It does not change the way I feel about the Bears. I agree with you. I mean, I think you have to, th- assuming Mitch Trubisky is going to come back and be the Mitch Trubisky he was a month ago, which is not exactly saying he's going to be Patrick Mahomes, but He's going to be certainly above Chase Daniel. Um, that I, I'm sort of throwing these results out in large part. Is Trubisky good to go? Sounds like he will play this week, but I thought he was going to play last week. So at this point, I'll wait to see until he's he on the field. He feels really close to 100%, according to the Bears. Mitch Trubisky expects to play Sunday night versus Rams. Great stuff. I'm uh, right where a, I need it, to be. 
It's amazing yeah. that it matters. Uh, just the degree to which he is important is something I never thought would ever happen. I missed him so much last Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Hey, is this the end of Chase Daniels' gravy train? I don't know. I think he has more than a one-year deal with the Bears. Or maybe not. Yeah, he has, a, he has money on his deal next season. No, I just mean is he, he's not going to get the, the sort of... The problem is he was never a starter for sort of the early part of his career. And so he can't do that. I'm going to be 42 and start and a backup for some reason. The Matt Hasselbeck route, Rex Grossman did it in DC where you just sort of kind of ride a golf cart for four years. He's not going to get that because he didn't have any credibility on the front end as a starter. I mean, I don't know, man. Jason Daniels is going to be 32 next year. He's made something like $40 million in his NFL career. I think he's done just fine. I think the gravy train, even if it comes to a stop, had a pretty good run. What a gravy train. Yeah, I mean, he's making $6 million next year with $3 million in dead cap. Barring some weird circumstances, he will be the Bears' backup quarterback next season. That's some Nick Foles shit right there. Like, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. He's making more than the average backup. And now every team is like, well, we got to have a good backup. Good for Nick Foles and good for Chase Daniel. I am worried that, I mean, I'm not worried about it anymore, but I think the Bears offense this week will be a little bit more than continual wheel routes down the right sideline to Tariq Cohen, because that's what it was last week. And one huge shot to Allen Robinson. That was the Bears passing game. So hopefully it's a little bit more spread around. when Mitch Chase Daniel back. and Aaron Rodgers have the same exact accuracy on their deep ball according to pro football focus <laughs> wonderful stats are great i will be curious to see what the bears do offensively and how they go after the rams you know to lead back as much as you figure you can take advantage of the rams linebackers and coverage they're actually fifth in passing dvoa against running backs so i think the number one thing i want to see the bears do is either with robinson or if you're going to put miller there take advantage of whoever they got in the slot because that's been their issue all season whether it's been hill or whoever they have to trot out there their third corner more or less i mean no matter who it is they still don't have the cornerback depth that you feel good about so i would like to see interior receivers for the bears try to do some work outside of that i'm very worried about what aaron donald is going to do to my team is this an mvp case game for you no, because he can't win the MVP. We already had that Why discussion. Not? Well, just campaign for it hard. I'm not going to do that because it's just not possible. It makes me look like well, a moron. It's not possible with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get to our second game. Ravens at Chiefs. What a just bizarre combination of playing styles this is going to be. If you were the Ravens, would you ever throw the ball in this game where you would just run it 50 times? That's a great question. I don't think it suits them to throw the ball very much. Although, you know, I think that I feel like this, this whole Lamar Jackson running all the time thing, especially in certain this in, in his first start, it sets you up for like one fourth quarter deep ball in a very impressive way. Sure. I think you have to, you know, sprinkle in some shots every once in a while to keep a team honest. And I also think there's some big plays to be had, but for the most part, I don't ever want to see them throw Kansas city's dead last in run defense DVOA. That's a little bit skewed because when teams are running against yeah. them, they shouldn't be. You can't, it's, you can't, you can't do You can't look at really good teams and, and their run defense. 
Well, it's not a matter how many yards you give up. I mean, they're usually teams that have a very good offense, have very good run defenses by yardage because teams are never running against them and they can have bad pass or run defenses by advanced numbers because teams are going to run a draw on second and 13 and gain nine yards. It doesn't do you any good when you're down 21 points in the third quarter. I still think that Kansas City's run defense is objectively bad, even if we kind of take the context into account. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the other side of the ball. Sure. 24-7 sports have this, this, this stat. The Ravens have not allowed a pass catcher to have a 100-yard receiving game this year. The Chiefs have had 12 of those in 14, 13 weeks. That's I mean, a nice little matchup. I saw somewhere that Marlon Humphrey is basically, in the second half of the season, just allowing a really, really low league-leading uh, catch rate. He's very good. Marlon Humphrey is very leading good. the NFL. It's a solid defense, seven, man. I think. I mean, I think again, we're talking about sound defenses, teams that are good all around, that are hard to take advantage of in individual spots. This is another team you have to talk about. Humphrey has been excellent, and their linebackers are solid. Weddle on the back end. It's a hard defense to create big plays against, the same way that the Bears are, and that's really what the Chiefs and Rams have subsisted on. You know, they're getting these chunk shots down the field and we're having the two best chunk offenses in the NFL play against the two best chunk defenses in the NFL. And I'm really curious to see how it's going to go. My wife just shared a bunch of emails from uh, Zillow. That can't be good. (laughs) (laughs) No, that never leads anywhere. Good. Uh, Best of luck with that, buddy. Good. (laughs) Um, All right. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I love this. It, it's actually kind of a, it's really interesting. We get the, the, the Bears against the Rams and the Ravens against the Chiefs in the same week because what we're starting to see, and, and you need these highly uh, isolated matchups to see it, is what a great offense against a, you know, relatively good for 2018 uh, defense looks like. Because I love these high octane offenses going against defenses which just know how to limit these sort of plays. And, and, and that's what I find fascinating about both of these matchups we've talked about. Yeah. I mean, that's what the Why Bears isn't Wink Martindale getting any looks for head coach? I love this guy. He's had a really good season. I, the Ravens defense has been good for years. I think that they've done an excellent job putting that group together, but he's been good. I, I didn't know how he would fare in his first year calling plays, but he's done very well. Do you know that he was a truck driver? I did not know that. I Just lo- dropping these Wink Mart- Martindale nuggets. I appreciate it. Don Martindale, very, very good defensive coordinator. And uh, he, he has the personality of like a, of a 90-year-old. And he's uh, like a 75-year-old. And he's 55. I'm very confused about this. Okay. So there's another guy named Wink Martindale? No. So, so Wink Martindale is a famous like entertainer. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That's okay. So is this, this guy is named Wink because that guy was called Wink? Well, is that nicknamed? His, his name is that's Don I mean. Martindale. Yeah, yeah, they're both nicknamed Wink. Yes. Are they related? It's, no, it's an homage. And Wink is, is a know, great kind of a, I got to tell you, it's kind of a hockey type thing. Like, I feel like hockey is the sport that would just call a guy Wink Martindale. Football, yeah. we, don't, we don't give a lot of nicknames in football. Football doesn't lend itself to nicknames in the same way hockey does for some reason. Or any other sport. I really miss the nickname Baseball, era. Christ. Yeah, I miss, I wish, I miss, nicknames in sports, we just, we're in the nadir of it. And I feel like I was before my time, or I was after my time. Basketball has much better nicknames than football. For sure. Uh, by far. I mean, basketball has good nicknames, period. Every sport, really, but, but football. 
All right, let's get to our third game. Vikings at Seahawks. We discussed this a little bit yesterday. It feels like a loser goes home match in the wild card a little bit. I mean, this is a massive game for playoff implications. I'm starting to get a little Bill Parcells. You are what your record says you are with the Vikings. Yeah, I, hey, I hear you, man. You tell me you want to talk about disappointed dad tone. <laughs> Did you know, I thought this is interesting. Seahawks are 14 and three against the spread. 14, three and three in their last 20 games at home. Night games at home. Excuse me. It's not surprising. Games. I mean, they, 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 they show up in prime time. They're also just good. You know, the other part of that, that place is, is just, miserable. To the play other, too. the other part of that is they're just really good against good teams because they have good game plans and they're smart. Yeah, and, they, I'm trying, and, and crucially, they have good players. I'd like to think that Minnesota has the receiving talent to take advantage of Seattle. I mean, I think that, again, they've just been so banged up on defense that as much as they've been able to put forth a pretty good fight, I still don't know if they have the talent on that side of the ball to hold up against explosive passing offenses. Not that the Vikings are. You know, their line has been so bad this year that it's hard to really develop much down the field, and they've been so scattered and up and down. But I still believe that healthy Thielen and healthy Diggs can take advantage of the Seattle's corners. But maybe I'm just... Maybe that's a misguided nomer at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. I have a question because I'm blinded by it because I was so in on the front end. Was Kirk Cousins a good signing? Yes. I agree. I would do it 100 times out of 100. I think you have to. I mean, if you're trying to maximize your Super Bowl window, you have to sign a guy. I think he's been really good this year. And the way they viewed him as just an entirely different class of quarterback than the guys they've had... I think that you have to make that deal. I, w- I would do it again. I agree. Who wins this game? I think the Seahawks do. I think the Seahawks do too, but I-, I still feel like the Vikings defense is playing much better. I'm not sure if the Seahawks be able to push the ball down the field the same way they have. Again, Seattle's done so much outside the numbers. Xavier Rhodes uh, should be playing in this game, apparently. I think that the way that he's he can take away stuff just to one side of the field, especially outside, I think that that hurts Seattle. The Vikings' run defense is pretty good. I'm not sure if Seattle will be able to move the ball on the Vikings the same way they have some other teams recently, but I still feel like the Seahawks at home, they're just playing better right now. The Vikings still have a 20% chance to win the division. That's as much as Philadelphia. Yeah, trust me. That loss to Minnesota last, or the, to the Giants last week, I'm not feeling that great. The, the Bears needed to win that game to put this thing away. So I'm a little bit worried. They have to play the Vikings again. There's a lot. They have to play Rodgers again, who, who knows? You know, maybe it's rejuvenated Rodgers after the McCarthy thing. There are a lot of elements in play here. I will say in playoff positioning, we're talking about loser leaves town. That tie is going to help them a lot. Minnesota's. Yeah. 538 has them as a 60% chance of making the playoffs. Carolina is less than 20%. Washington is 26%. Yeah. So it'd probably be both of these teams making the wild card, actually. Yeah, probably. Who's more likely to win, uh, win an upset? That's a really good question. I feel like on the road, it might be Minnesota. Yeah. That, which is so weird based on the conversation we just had, but just as a gut feeling, I think that defense could throw the biggest wrench into a game against a better team. But I just, want, I just want you to, to know. I don't know. I want you to know that we made a case for Russell Wilson to win MVP. We talked up the Seahawks, but the fact that we just flicked at the idea that they might not win a playoff game means Seahawks fans are going to be mad at us. That's true. I know. There's really no winning with them. All right. Let's get to Maze Geeks Out and Kevin's Sneaky Truth. You touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, but I wanted to talk about the Texans' pass rush, especially against a very good Colts offensive line. And what, the Houston, what Houston does, not only do they have excellent talent in, on the front four, you, know, you have Merciless, Clowney, Watt. You know, Covington's an underrated player. DJ Reader's pretty solid. 
the stuff they do with twists and games, I feel like is worth watching because they'll put Clowney and Merciless on the same side and they won't necessarily use them in a stunt, but they'll bring Merciless all the way around the center and have Covington come across. They're really liable to throw any guy in any gap, no matter where he lines up. And that stuff every once in a while will work. You know, they'll get home on some of those plays against the Titans. The Covington managed to come off a double team because they were so worried about Merciless. But then the other thing that it does is it makes offensive linemen passive because they're waiting for those games so often on plays where these guys are just going to pin their ears back and rush the passer. They often get a bigger jump or a little bit more momentum. They can get into a bull rush and create a little bit more power than they would with a team that just rushes all four guys straight ahead every single time. So I would just watch for how often the Texans do that stuff where they're going to be twisting guys and then just watch how passive, especially right tackles can be when Merciless and Clowney are on that side and Watts playing excellent. I mean, he's dominating games the way he always had. And this is, in my opinion, the number one reason this defense is a driving force between a team that's or behind a team that's won nine straight games. All right. What's your sneaky truth? All right. I want to talk a little bit about the Sam Darnold, Josh Allen matchup this week. Ooh. Okay. Who would you rather have right now? Robert Mays? I don't know. We were just, we were discussing this on the Slack yesterday as part of a project. And I had a really hard time kind of formulating my thoughts. I still haven't formulated them fully. I when we say I'd project, ha- we mean we mean a series of social videos. You don't mean we're well, like I diving. Give it away. Well, no, I don't. I don't uh, part of a project sounds like we're building Jurassic Park full of Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. <laughs> I don't know how best to describe it. Okay. Anyway, so we did a video on it. Well, yes. We, I, 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 I didn't know if it was gonna, when it was going to come out. Everything else. I'm not trying to give away proprietary information. Wow, you turned. You went full Belichick on us. <laughs> anyway. Um, I am very worried about Sam Darnold, but I also think that okay. Sam Darnold has very little help. What okay. Josh Allen showed last week was pretty exciting, though. All right. This is a double-sided sneaky truth. Right now, both guys are under 70% pass. Seven, no, 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 I'm sorry. Not 70%. 70 quarterback rating. That's much different. Josh Allen is has had the two best rushing games over a two-game span um, since 1951. Tobin wrote. Okay. So... Right now, you'd rather have Josh Allen. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Josh Allen can make plays with his legs that we didn't maybe anticipate. Uh, so if you're looking at Darnold's season and Allen's season, I think Allen is having the better season. Here's the second part of that. Jared Goff also had under a 70 quarterback rating his, his rookie year. And I'm asking you, Robert Mays, because I'm sort of leaning. This is almost, this is, this is in the, the, the zone of a take shop. Do you think that Sam Darnold can be goffed in the sense that the Jets can make completely wholesale changes, bring in guys who know what they're doing, and then Darnold has a massive year next year? Or do you think do you think maybe he's a little too far gone? I have a lot of thoughts about this. I think that Sam Darnold is a better quarterback down in and down out than Josh Allen is oh, right now and I, going forward. If it's to make one pass, I would take Darnold. If it's for for one game right now, for some reason, I would take Josh Allen. Josh Allen has these scattered moments that are remarkable. I mean, the throw mm-hmm. he made to the left sideline from his end zone to Zay Jones falling out of bounds last week, that's Rodgers Mahomes shit. I mean, it was really impressive, but those it's scattered plays. I don't necessarily trust Josh Allen to play quarterback for a whole game. My concern about Darnold's ability to be goffed 
is that I think Jared Goff was just completely overcome by his circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I think Sam Darnold's biggest issue right now is that he's become completely overcome by his tendency to make terrible decisions. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can coach that out of quarterbacks. We've talked about it with Jameis Winston for years. Well, he'll have these moments and they'll have these drives that are really impressive. And then the mind-boggling interception comes. Or And that's the, we've seen that. That just is going to be a part of who he is as a quarterback. We have to see whether that's going to be true for Darnold. Is Darnold going to have that same inclination over his entire career to look pretty good for stretches of four or five plays, and then he just makes one throw where you just put up your hands and say, what in God's name is going on? I don't know if you can coach that out of certain players, and that was the concern about Darnold coming in, and that's the concern I have about him moving forward. Hey, you think ben, one thing about like guys who make really bad decisions early in their career, you ever think that like Brett Favre had a very Benjamin Button type career? That his decision making got more and more sort of rookieish yeah, as his, his career his went off, on. His you know what fuck it attitude just kind yeah. of descended where normally like, it goes a lot down. of guys yeah a lot of guys just have to get that sort of um, coached out of them. Yeah. And his his grew he like peaked <laughs> as a rookie quarterback when he was thirty eight years old. You know who also has gone up in that regard. Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's just, yeah. you know what? Whatever. I mean, over the last three or four years. I feel like with Ryan Fitzpatrick, he realized that like there was enough money in having playing five amazing games a year. Yeah. No, it, the cost benefit is there. Shouldn't since Winston and Fitzpatrick are both really good in small sample sizes, shouldn't they just alternate and you just take them out when the sample size starts regressing? I think that's what the Bucks have tried to do. I'm pretty uh, yeah. sure that's been their strategy. It's hard. They're both sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do it too early or too late. You never really know the timing. On you know, it. Steve Spurrier did the did the one playing out thing with the Gators. Yeah, that's always worked. That that all that all just not work. If you have two quarterbacks, you have two. He did it again. Yeah, exactly. If you're alternating them on every play, it's so. And then he would bring the play in with. He would tell the other one on the sideline what the play was and how to run it, and then they would come in. It was actually, actually not bad. All right. I'm going to revisit let's, that. I'm just some Googling later. Let's finish this off by breaking down the Thursday night game a little bit. Jags at Titans. Classic Thursday, Thursday night, night game, color baby. rush. This is when I think of the great matchups in NFL history. You know, it's Redskins, Cowboys, Bears, Packers, and it's Jags, Titans on Thursday night. This is just what the NFL is all about. Thursday night football was designed for this. If the Jaguars and the Titans play on a day that's not Thursday night, it becomes Thursday night. I don't care if it's Sunday at 1 it p.m. It's in time. I don't care if it's Sunday at 1 p.m. I don't care if it's Monday night. It's a Twilight Zone deal. You look at your calendar. It will say Thursday. The sun will go down. Anything you thought you, thought you had to do on Sunday will not exist because it's Thursday night. It is a vortex. It's almost like at this time of year, especially when you're settling in with a familiar movie, it really makes you feel warm and fuzzy yeah. inside because it's just it's a part of your childhood. It's a part of growing up, you know, whether it's it's a wonderful life or, you know, I, I watch the Santa Claus every year with my brothers, stuff like that. Just this is, is that part the, of our tradition. Is that the Tim Allen one? Oh, it's a Tim Allen one. Yep. We watch it every year. I just stuff like that. I and mean, when you have traditions around this time of year, it's what the holidays are all about. And that's how I feel about December, Thursday night, Jaguars, Titans games. 
I also, it's comforting to know that those teams are just back to being the Jaguars and Titans after it's a, wonderful. Year, a year of playoff contention. Uncertainty is not fun, Kevin. I really love to know what's coming, and I'm glad we're back at that point. Fantastic. All right. All right. Who, wait, who's going to win? <laughs> I guess the Titans. Who's at home? I don't even know. No, I don't care. <laughs> it's the Titans. The Titans are at home. All right, sure. All right, it's right it's here in front of me. It's the Titans. All right, guys, that's all we got. Uh, We'll be back on Sunday. And uh, as always, thank you for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV and the newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. I use Sonos as the high-quality soundbar for all of my TV watching, and it's going to come in handy while I catch up on all those Oscar movies this month. You got to know where the sound editing greats are coming from, man. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. That's Sonos, S-O-N-O-S.com.